what's going on everyone? This is Nick and we have Sean here with me today. Hello. So today for you we have an interview with songwriter Jacob Avener of the band Porterfields. This is from a new series from our company Terranaut Recordings where we interview a bunch of songwriters and talk about process, creativity, inspiration, and all that stuff. Hit that like. <laughs> Terranaut Recordings is a company that we both started where we do all the production, mixing, mastering, and tracking, and all that good stuff. We record our instruments, uh, we record acoustic instruments, and all in an affordable package where you keep all the rights. Listen to us and do stuff. <laughs> Terranaut Recordings. Brought to you Listen. by viewers like you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so if you're interested in that, check the link in the description. But now we're going to bring you the interview with Jacob. I want to apologize that we have an AC on in the background, but the room is really hot and we didn't want to gross out Jacob. But anyway, here's the interview. We're here with Jacob Avener, who's a songwriter <laughs> in New York. <laughs> Why don't you give us a short bio about yourself? <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, I'm Jacob. I am a musician in New York. I uh, am a guitar player and a singer, and I used to play bass, but Sean's here, so I feel like I shouldn't say I play bass. No, I mean, <laughs> dude, like, I, all, all, guitars, all guitars play bass by proxy. So. I mean, like, yeah, the that's... joke is, like, what do you call a guitar player that plays with other musicians? A bass player. <laughs> um not a good joke. Um, but yeah, so so I'm I'm here. Uh, I I'm you know I've lived in a few different cities. Sean and I have worked at the same coffee shop at different times. Pavement. Shout out to Pavement. Shout out to Pavement. Uh, Scott McCullough, if you're still there, if you're watching this. Also Scott Johnson. Also Scott Johnson. Um, and yeah, uh, went to I guess I went to Berkeley, which I was made fun a lot of at um, my grad program where I met these fools at NYU and um, I have a band called Porterfield we just put out an album which took way too long to make and we're not going to take so long to do the next one that's that's me in yeah. that who do you think would win in a fight Jeff Buckley or Elliot Smith that's that's a tough question to answer because Elliot Smith supposedly stabbed himself and Jeff Buckley drowned in a river with boots on so um, sadly enough I feel like Jeff Buckley would win because I feel like Elliot Smith wouldn't be able to punch a thing. I feel like Jeff has got a little more punching, but he also, like, is a gangly dude and seems like a sweetheart. I don't know. I think they both got chutzpah. They both got chutzpah for sure, yeah, but Jeff's a little more angry, at least in his music. Hmm. Or, uh, yeah, I don't know. Elliot just seems so sad all the time. How would you say they've influenced your songwriting? <laughs> Is that what you're supposed to ask in an interview? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Um, I mean, very differently. Uh, Jeff Buckley has definitely been like a true north for me for a long time. Um, he, I mean, vocally, he's like what I go for when I'm singing my music, definitely. Um, and his... His harmonic choices, I think, are really cool. Like, in the context of, of, of a rock song, you know? Um, he does a lot of, like, uh, like, like kind of moving block chords, but, like, with detuned and open strings, mm -hmm. you know? So, like, that creates cool harmonic content. And it's just, like, it's great to hear that in a rock context. Also, he gets a lot of stuff from, like, um, Southeast Indian classical music, which right. is, like, super hip. I don't know if you guys have heard his live at Cine. Uh, he has like this like two hour long live uh, concert that he did kind of before he blew up for like the Columbia execs 
and he sings like some, um, what's his name, Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan, shit, which is like this like crazy Indian singer, and he like sings it like really well, you know. Right. Um, so you can tell he like does his research in terms of that. And Elliot Smith for me is like a perfect example of like a, a a composer who writes songs, you know, like his melody harmony relationship is like on point every time and and like just you hear the counterpoint between the voice and the bass and it's like incredible the piano parts are like little etudes in and of themselves you know um and and he doesn't like let that get in the way of like the emotion of the music which i think is pretty cool yeah so both great songwriters that i have like you know used as models either in exercises, just like, like I'm going to write a song based off of, like, speed trials or something, or, or like, between the bars, you right. know? Just as, like, an exercise to try to get into it. Um, or even just to transcribe some of that stuff. Or, like, uh, same thing, you know, doing, like, harmonic uh, ear training with um, Grace, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, just, like, trying to, like, like hear what he's doing without the guitar. is Like, it's just, the, those are... Like, that's a perfect album for me, and and so is EXO. So, like, being able to, like, always go back to those for inspiration um, is nice. But, yeah, emotion and cool guitar playing stuff from Jeff Buckley slash vocals, and then, like, compositional technique from Elliot Smith are definitely, like, what I get out of those guys. Yeah. And I also just tell my students to check them out if they haven't yet, because it's, like, (laughs) mind-blowing. Cool. Yeah, so you mentioned... Uh, that you went to Berkeley and all that, and I know your I know your like academic background, but like, why don't you talk a little bit about like how? Because you're like a jazz musician, but you also write songs and like are a singer. Um, so what, why don't you talk a little bit about like how you sort of merge the two worlds? Sure. So I'll, I I'm like a jazz musician because I really don't think I am a jazz musician. <laughs> Definitely, um, maybe jazz adjacent. Um, I went to Berkeley for like singing and and. And I thought I was going to study songwriting there. Um, and I learned that if I was going to do that, I would spend four years just, like, talking about, like, lyrics and shit, which I was like, why don't I just get an education in, like, classical literature or something? Right. Which is what I left to study music. Um, so uh, I studied something that I thought I couldn't get anywhere else, which was jazz composition. Uh, like, big band writing, you know, kind of, like, the music of Bill Evans, um, you know, voice leading, horn writing, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and for me, what that did was kind of create a really large palette uh, of sounds and techniques to draw from in a songwriting context. So um, I'm going to trash the vocal department at Berkeley for a moment, but I didn't get anything as a vocalist from Berkeley. It was, like, a real, real shame because I would have loved to. I had one teacher who was, like, a baller um, and then everything else was just, like, let's talk about the lyrics. It's like, come on. Um, but um, the harmony department and the jazz department were great. I took a bunch of classical composition courses. You know, I'm really into, like, talking about Elliot Smith. Um, I, I started listening to Elliot Smith when I was at Berkeley. A buddy of mine kind of turned me on to him. 
And like hearing stuff like melody and bass relationship in, in context of a song right. really, really started like getting me interested in, in composition um, and thinking about like how you can pick color notes. Uh, when you're writing a song as a singer, right? It's like you have vocal production, you have tone, and like and 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 the obviously the words and the way you enunciate the words is is one thing. But what is the note against the chord that you're singing? Like right. you can have like a really basic one six two five or like like four five one kind of a chord progression, and that and that can go really far, especially if like you start on a nine and then you go to the major seven and then like at some point you like kind of add like a, a flat five or a sharp 11 or something. And then that makes people go like, you know, um, <laughs> but the harmonically it's like not that complicated. Right. So as a singer, um, starting to hear that kind of stuff, which you get from like jazz standards, um, for sure. Um, uh, but also like studying, you know, like classical counterpoint, you right. know, um, and right. seeing how, uh, these chord progressions, which, you know, I got my ass kicked in some of those classes because I was, like, trying to write, like, major six chords, and they're like, this shit does not exist here. <laughs> like, go home. Um, but, like, how you can take these, like, kind of uh, traditional chord progressions, you know, not, like, some crazy, like, Tigran shit, and, <laughs> and um, uh, use the melody... The way that like like Bob Dylan uses lyrics, you know, like the melody works for itself, right? And 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 if they're if they're not codependent, but they work by themselves and right. they work together, then you have a really strong. Uh, I think you have a really strong song or composition. That's kind of the stuff that I yeah. that I really picked up there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because when I hear your music, it sounds like genre list it's like oh this is Jacob and the stuff that he likes mm. um, especially on the new record which is Porterfield's band check it out oh, Rome. <laughs> yeah the links will be down in wherever this is I don't know somewhere somewhere above my knees maybe yeah yeah or Slight, on top of my slightly knees slightly under the knees maybe <laughs> <laughs> what's your greatest fear <laughs> Um, I'll in, tell you mine. In what? Okay, yeah, you go first. <laughs> uh, becoming so jaded and uninterested in the world that I stop learning about things. Oh wow, that's pretty dark. Yeah, that's something that. that I don't we, see that happening could... for you though, because you seem to like be into learning things. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, that, that's what I'm afraid of. I I guess like, I don't know if it's my greatest fear, but like contextually speaking, um, I don't want to ever be in a place where music doesn't become a thing that I let me try to say that in English I don't ever want to be in a place where I feel like making music or at least making my own music um, isn't emotionally fulfilling if that ever mm -hmm. happens then I think like I should just fucking go to law school or something and make a goddamn ton of money retire at 40 <laughs> right <laughs> you know? do you feel like music academia sort of deters a lot of people from that or like causes that um, sort of in a lot of. I feel like I feel like music time. academia is is kind of a double edged sword. Um, a lot of music academia is like like a like a like a pyramid scheme almost, where the only way to like get your money back is to like invest more into it until mm -hmm. you become like a professor and then you like and then you're like wait but I'm doing this to my students, promising them a future right. that right. doesn't necessarily exist. 
Um, having said that, like, uh, I didn't take anything seriously as a kid, you know? I was like a little fucking kid in the woods going crazy all the time. So I didn't, you know, I wasn't like shedding as a 10-year-old or like as a 15-year-old, you know? So like going to music school showed me how serious people were, you know? And like, I, I feel like there's like a make or break of like, do you want to do this or not? Because if you don't, then like stop, right? Right. Um, and for me, that was like, a, oh, I definitely want to do this. And it showed me like, um, how good you could get essentially and like and like all these different avenues that you could take so from that standpoint it was great from the standpoint of like meeting people and um, learning like I learned the most from from my peers it, both in my undergrad and my grad for, for sure um, except for Ari Honig he kicked my ass um, <laughs> uh, he kicked all of our asses yeah yeah we're all uh, of the Ari Honig ass kicked school <laughs> <laughs> um but in a nice way. Um, yes. So, Sorry. thank you. <laughs> thank if you you're right. watching this 15 minutes into this, oh my god, you poor guy. Um, <laughs> you made it this far already. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Feel free to turn off at any point. Um, no, but but um, you know, and I and I don't think this is just music school, but I think in academia in general, like especially today, anything you want to learn, you can learn on YouTube or on the internet or in a library. Um, but you don't meet the people. I think that's like the reason to go to school. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 it's a double-edged sword. Half of me is like, don't do it. I did it. I'm, I kept doing it. And, and like everything I learned, I learned from my buddies or like from the music that I ended up listening to. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, having said that, like it's kind of a shortcut. You know, your professors, they just kind of tell you what's up. You don't have to like, like, like they'll, sh they'll like tell you about, like I had an undergrad teacher tell me about knee body. I would have taken so long to get hip to knee body. Right. Otherwise. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? Um, so for things, I, I, I don't know. It depends on who you are. A lot of people are self-motivated. Um, if you're not self-motivated, life is going to be difficult, you know, in whatever you choose to do. Right. And having that motivation for music school is great. Um, but also, like, if you're self-motivated, then, like, what are you going for? Are you going to get connections? Are you going to, like, learn about how to use a, a console without doing internships? Well, you're still going to have to do internships, right? So, right. like, right. like <laughs> you know, it kind of depends. Um, it also kind of helps bypass a lot of the gatekeeping, I think. Whereas before, uh, especially in, like, the jazz community, uh jazz musicians are their own gatekeepers you know it's not it's not like the record industry where like you have to appeal to some invisible man right and mm -hmm. like maybe maybe someone will be at your show and sign you or you have to go to nashville and then like maybe someone will be at your show and sign you right, right like right. you don't have to like do that thing you just go to the jam sessions day after day after day but like if you go to jazz school like ari honig peter bernstein alex Sipiagin, alan ferber um, Adam Rogers, Wayne Krantz, like all of these guys are there and you get to know them and it really helps kind of like um, accelerate that. Like you have Alex Ipiagin on your album that's coming right, out. Like yeah. that's going to be great for you. Like my buddy Jan Ezra, um, who works for Becca Stevens, who just put out a really cool um, ambient record. Um, uh -huh. He has, they have Ben Wendell on one of their tracks because uh -huh. like, 
he, through Becca Stevens, like, did a shit ton of transcription work for Ben. And, like, he got all of these connections through, like, like, I actually don't know how we got those connections, but he was a buddy of mine uh, in the jazz program at Berkeley and, and has met all these people along the way. But it's about connections. Mm-hmm. It's about connections, and, and music school can help you make those. School in general can help you make those. So, yeah, it's a long answer. <laughs> Oh, that's a good answer. Yeah. Um, but don't go to school. Yeah, stay away. Yeah. Don't go to music school. <laughs> but actually, on the topic of that, because I've heard you, I've heard you talk about this before about like Berkeley composition exercises. Oh yeah. So like for those exercises, how much do you think they've helped you? But do you feel also that they maybe like hurt your co- uh, compositional process by like kind of limiting you and making you not enjoy the process as much? Not at all. Um, I. I am super grateful for exercises. I think that exercises, they kind of show you, show you things that you would never accomplish without them. Mm. Like, uh, I took probably the best class I took in terms of learning how to write music was compositional style of Bob Brookmeyer Mm. that I took from a peer of, of uh, Alan Ferber, her name is Ian Serto. Oh, cool. Um, and she, like, showed us the white note exercise, which is, like, an exercise where you have one octave, and you can only use C to C in that octave, and it all has to be, like, in the key of C. And you have to write a full page of melody that is, like, compelling, you right. know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, all of these different, like like, things, and... While I don't necessarily use any of those exercises, it showed me how to, like, create a box to be creative inside of. Right, right. Um, and, and I, like, because of that and because of, like, learning how to write, like, classical counterpoint, learning how to write, like, three-part inventions, um, these things that, like, by definition are a box that you have to be creative inside of, they, like, free you up so much to not make some decisions about right. the form of what you're doing. And as soon as, like, you you don't have to, like, if someone says, write a song, you're like, fuck! <laughs> but if someone says, like, write a song, um, but, you know, like, Ari was really great at this. I, I wrote a bunch of music through Ari's lessons, and, and, like, he had some really cool exercises that I could tell in the best way possible, he was making the exercises up, like, on the spot. Or, like, remembering some exercise that he used, like, a while ago. Right. Like, write a song where the B section is half as long as the A section. Mm. You know? <laughs> like, okay, that's, like, already gives me a lot of information. Or write a song in 3-4 where, you know, uh, the second note... Or the first the first note is between the downbeat and the second beat. Right. You know? And then you have, like, a descending major sixth. Like, that's, that's like, the prompt. And like, that's oddly specific, you know? <laughs> but being oddly specific, that gives you so much uh, room to be creative around because you don't need to make these decisions that, like, can um, paralyze you, you know? I took a songwriting course with Becca Stevens. Um, shout out, Becca. If you're watching this, also. Song. Yeah, for some reason, um, way here. Uh, <laughs> you're lo- looking to learn more about guitar or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and yeah, I mean, chock full of really cool exercises like how to generate lyrics out of poetry. You know how to take how to take um, how to take like like random assortments of, of 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 thoughts that you've written about and organize it into a song structure, you know, um, things like that. And and 
Yeah, I mean, like, stuff that I've learned from, again, from friends and peers. Like, I think exercises are great. Uh, some of my favorite songs I've written were exercises that um, my friends and I have exchanged or I've, like, taken from from teachers, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sick. Fuck the man. <laughs> but, but exercises are great. So it's all, yeah, it's all some something common between that. It's all, it's all a practice within limitation. Basically. Yes. Like the, 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 all those exercises are sort of give you the framework and then like you can be as creative as you want within that framework. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think like that speaks to the jazz tradition in that like you have people who've been playing this same song for 40 years and like every time they play it, they have this like framework of like 32 bars and like it's this chord progression. Maybe it's in a different key, you know. Um, but the harmonic framework remains more or less the same and, and you keep building new ideas and then maybe those new ideas are like, oh, cool, like, like some guy somewhere who heard that recording is going to transcribe that and it's going to blow their mind open, you right. know? Like, like, like right. literally every Amon Jamal arrangement that people still play. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, that was probably just like... Like, Right, yeah. Like, listen, listen to um, Song Song. Right. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. like exactly. that's... Yeah. That's, um, that's legit. Yeah, and to think, like, they probably just either did that on the spot or just, like, arranged it, like, really quickly before the show is, like, yeah. pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's become, like, such a part of the, um, the vernacular of, like, whenever you play that tune. Mm -hmm. like, you always play that arrangement. Or, like, Herbie's comp on Iris. Like, how, like, that's become, like... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, how that's become, like, part of... Like, he probably just... <laughs> yeah. Like he, major yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, he just did that on the spot. Well, he, he plays the root and then the fifth in the bass, and then plays the, the flat 13 on the top. Yeah. So he has the perfect fifth and the sharp five. Yeah, yeah. Super killer. It's like yeah. a flat nine on the top. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he Nasty. just, like, he just, like, <laughs> improvised that. And it's, like, it's, it's now part of the arrangement. Like, yeah. Like, Jazz at Lincoln Center, like, they had that in their big band arrangement of Yeah, in that, that record, I think uh, Miles Jazz started calling people Center. on Sunday, or, like, Saturday, and then they were like, oh, the record date's Monday. <laughs> so, and, and then he told Wayne to just bring his book, and they just kind of sight-read the tunes. Yeah. Like, so those yeah. are all, like, basically, like, one or two takes in. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, so, um, you guys said it. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. It's good coffee. Thanks. So it's Grumpy's Old Beans. That can't Cafe sell. Grumpy, Old Beans. Mm -hmm. Malacara Red. Old Beans, Old Mug, New Conversations. Wow. That's the name of the podcast. Fucking <laughs> 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 sick. Cool. You like my ham shelf? I love your ham shelf, man. I, I was reading that you guys played two days ago at like 3 a.m. Wow. <laughs> That's why you get up at 10 a.m. Because you're fixing your shelf at 3 in the morning. Exactly, yeah. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. I can't, you know, I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. Actually, that, that brings me on to something else, which is... <laughs> like, how do you... Like, do you have, like, habits and routines? Like a, like a songwriter, musician, or just in general, like, habits that make your life better in some kind of way? Yeah, coffee. <laughs> coffee is the number one habit that makes my life um, doable. Um, as a songwriter, I have had habits in the past. I don't write now. Um, I used to, like, do the thing where it's, like, once a week I will make sure to have a song written, you know? And I did that for a long time, and I don't do that anymore because, um, I was either writing the same song over and over and over again, or just kind of writing 
stuff that I didn't like, you know? Right. And I'm now at a point where it's like, I don't feel like I have to prove to myself or to anyone else that I can write music just to right. write music. So if, if it feels good, I'll write it. And, and at this point, like, I'm releasing music so slowly that I have more songs <laughs> to put out. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I love... I, I mean, like, it sounds kind of dumb, but I love, like, practicing Bach on guitar, you know? Mm, yeah. I've been doing that since my first lesson with Adam Rogers at NYU, like, two and a half years ago. Still suck at it. Um, but, like... The, the sonatas and partitas? Yeah, yeah! Yeah, it's great! It's beautiful music, and um, it makes me feel like I'm connected to something, right. you know? That's not, like, you know, like... Da, 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 da. You know, um, and yeah, I don't know. But as, as like as far as being a creative person goes, um, I've kind of like, especially um, this summer, because I'm out of town and kind of like traveling a bunch. I don't really have many things that keep me um, centered uh, in terms of like musical process. But I have been reading. I've been practicing when I can. I've been listening to more music. You know. I find that, like, uh, I'm an album listener. I, I'm not really, like, a one song at a time or, like, a playlist kind of a guy. So, like, listening to a full album. I guess, like, my favorite thing that I can do as, like, as like a person, as a human being, which I guess also translates into being a musician, is, like, my ideal, like, morning routine would be wake up at, like, kind of early-ish so that I have more time in the day um, and, like, have a cup of coffee, sit with a cat on my lap and listen to a record, you know, and, like, start the day that way and then um if i have to do something go do something if not then like go into my uh room and play or try to write or whatever you know right yeah but yeah. um i don't really have much of a, a, a routine to be honest i wish i did yeah. routines are good <laughs> get a routine kids that sounds like a routine though i mean like like just like a nice primer you know to your day yeah it's starting off the day like that and awesome way to start the day if you have the time mm -hmm. you know um right and then life gets in the way then life gets in the way do you want to keep talking about this or think of something else man i'm i have i have no dog in this race i'm just happy to hang with you guys good hangs <laughs> come hang with us <laughs> Turnout. This hang was brought to you by Turnout. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned that you originally were studying something else. What did you say, literary? Yeah, so I actually, uh, before I pursued music formally, I was like studying classical literature. Yeah. Which was totally like awesome and cool. And I'm very grateful that I like read shit like all of the Divine Comedy. And, like, uh, the Canterbury Tales, which is, like, super weird and dark. Um, like, the Odyssey and the Iliad and, like, you know, getting into that kind of, like, classic kind of poetry stuff. Um, and that definitely informed a lot of what I, uh, of how I think about uh, composition in terms of lyrics now. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, all of my friends were in the music program and were, like way ahead of me in terms of like uh what they were doing musically speaking and i was just like man that seems like what i want to be doing you know so so i decided to make the change yeah. how long did you study classical literature for like a year and a half hmm. yeah and then i had to start over when i went to music school because they're like we only accept one semester of your credits and then i had to like 
take history and literature classes at Berkeley, which is like, come on, guys, this is so dumb. <laughs> like, like what? Uh, but that's fine. Fucking Berkeley. Great place. Kind of. This video is sponsored by Berkeley. <laughs> <laughs> it's like anti-sponsored. Yeah, this video was not sponsored by Berkeley. They'll, they'll like pay us to take it down. <laughs> it's like de-advertisement. Oh, uh, you lived in cities. I've like, lived in oh, cities. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. What's the... You, you want to talk about... Yeah, why don't like, you... What's the West Coast like? Oh, like, God. What's the Northeast or Northwest like? So. Weird. <laughs> it's weird over there. Very nice people. Uh, the music scene in Portland is alive and well. At least it was when I was living there. Um, I was playing upright bass... And so I would walk around with a double bass, and I got gigs just by walking around with a double bass, <laughs> like, literally. Nice. Um, Amazing. I was like, yeah, I had, like, multiple gigs a week, you know? Um, like, paying gigs. And that was super cool. But all roads in Portland lead to Portland. That's what I learned. It's, like, pretty insular. Mm. Um, and the people there are pretty insulated. Uh, it's... No shade, because I do really, uh, I think very fondly of a lot of the people that I met there. Um, but it's like an insulated community, and it's not very diverse, despite the fact that they, like, want to be super diverse. But it's just, like, a bunch of white people, which, like, obviously, you know, this room represents that as well. But, like, in Brooklyn, you know, where we live, it's, like, a Latino and black community here you know we're kind of the outliers in our community and and, it, and it's cool it, I, I feel like um, I'm living in the real world a little more so right. you know what I mean um, especially like wanting to play jazz or like like uh, black music it's weird to do that with only white people or like only in the context of like here's like a bunch of you know, folks who studied it in school, but, like, haven't lived any of it, right. if that makes sense, yeah. you know? Um, whereas, like, when I when I moved back to uh, the East Coast, I was living with my parents and kind of commuting between New York and, and Boston. Um, and I was working in Harlem as, like, an academic tutor, you know, for this after-school music program. And this, this, this guy, Paul Harding, that I was working with is this old, uh, older, um, African American dude who was just like one of the coolest guys to talk to. Cause he like met Miles Davis. He met like, um, uh, Wayne Shorter. He's like met all of these greats and like was talking about it. And he like knew, like, it was weird because it was like all of these like, uh, black and Latino kids in Harlem and they're learning about classical music and him and I were like trying to teach them a little bit about like jazz you know which is like maybe a little more relevant right. um, mm -hmm. just in general to today and um, just like dude's a poet he wasn't even like a, a, a musician per se like what does that mean you know but like he, he, he didn't play music but he like knew all of these guys and like had like hung out with them he has this great story of like when he was a kid and like he's like chatting with Wayne Shorter asking him a question about like Iris you know and then like Wayne kind of looks past him and, and Paul turns around and is Miles Davis and Miles just says what the fuck do you play you know like like I'm sorry but like I never heard like I, I learned more from that dude about like 
what it was like than like gigging a whole bunch in Portland. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we weren't even playing music together. I was just <laughs> like like hanging out with this guy. Um, I hope you're well, Paul. You know, uh, I'll, I'll I hope to see you again. You're super cool dude. Um, yeah, you know. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird. Cities cities have different vibes. Coffee in Portland's amazing though. Holy shit. Definitely the, the coffee central of America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, Starbucks was started in Seattle. Yeah. So I imagine that. Stumptown Coffee's for Portland. Yeah. So I imagine the whole second wave has a. We can has, talk coffee now. <laughs> we can talk about <laughs> the difference between second wave and third wave coffee. <laughs> coffee. Mm. Coffee. Uh, coffee in the intersections of. Or, we're going to do an edit it? here. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> what what cities have you lived in? So, like you were mentioning Portland, let's just talk about like just the cities you lived in in general and sort of, I guess, general vibes of those cities. If if like a songwriter, for example, wanted to be like, oh, I want to move to another city because I live in like the middle of the U.S. and there's no song. Sure. Scene. I mean, I've only lived in Boston, New York, and Portland. Um, although I visited Nashville once, and that is a cool town, especially as a songwriter. That's a really really cool place to be. Or a guitar player, because the guitar porn in Nashville is insane. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Boston, like, you guys know Boston. Yeah. It's it's a cool city. It's kind of grungy in terms of, like, the songwriter scene, you know? Grunge, not in terms of, like, like um, Pacific yeah. Northwest genre grungy, but just, like, you know, basements and... Um, house shows. House shows kind of a thing. Uh, there's not a lot of good venues in Boston to play at as, like, a person with a band right you know um that's not like playing things like city winery you know right which Um, is strange because there are a lot of really great musicians there so there's only two jazz clubs in boston yeah like so you think there would be more places yeah and more opportunities for a city filled with a lot of great musicians yeah exactly so you know boston is a great insular or not insular but it's a great place to like uh incubatory city i should say where like as a as a college student or just like a young person trying to like cut their teeth, you know, um, it's a good place to like learn from friends, make, make friends. Like I've, I met some really cool people there in like through school and also not through school through pavement. I met a lot of cool people. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, you know, like I learned most of what I know about music, like from buddies that, right. or like from like like going to shows. Um, and I, I saw some like amazing bands in Boston, um, and like collaborated in terms of like being on the same bill with bands that I like right. admired. You know, Portland's a weird place, man. There's a lot of Grateful Dead there. People love the Grateful Dead in Portland. Like as a musician, you can work in Portland. Like that's the cool thing about about it. Like, you can really um, play gigs there and, like, and like do the thing, you know? Um, but, again, like, if you have greater... Um, or I should say, if you have interests that are outside of Portland, um, then you need to go outside of Portland. Right. Uh, and New York is New York, man. Like, got fucking everything here. It's, it's dope. You can go to a... Uh, in Williamsburg, like, there's, like, a country bar where they have killing fucking bluegrass and country music. And then, like, next door is, like, the Radagast thing, where, like, I have a buddy who plays, like, funk, like, for four hours every Saturday afternoon there. 
who like is also a killing trumpeter but like plays funk guitar too you know <laughs> um and then like uh if you go down the street you go to like national sawdust where i saw like antonio sanchez play the Birdman score live right okay. so like this is all within like a 10 block radius right, right. um so <laughs> new york is great it's awesome i met you guys here yeah, yeah. Good okay. see. Yeah, your band Porterfield because it's, it's kind of unique that in that like you have like a sax player, but then you also have like drums, and then you have like the moog bass thing. Mm-hmm. So how did you meet those guys in Porterfield? Because you guys are like a unit. It's like it's yeah, like, like four of you that you don't like call. You don't really regularly sub out people. Yeah. So um, how did you guys meet? So so um, it used to be a trio for a long time. We were for most of. I mean, we've been together for five years, so for, like, four of those years, it was just drums, synth, bass, and guitar. Um, I met Raphael, who's the drummer, in uh, a rhythmic ear training class at school. Hmm. And we were both, like, pretty active students. And I remember him being, like, getting everything right, you know? When you're, like, listening to, like, these, these hard things or, like, listening to things about, like... Like, he's Brazilian, so we would listen to, like, some... Partida Alto stuff and he could like find the one every time where like as like some 20 year old white dude who lived in Connecticut most of his life like <laughs> we hear that backwards right right <laughs> um so you know I and I remember and and I asked a bunch of people when I was starting the band for recommendations of like someone that could like someone that was like kind of a powerful explosive drummer with like a lot of creativity because that's mm-hmm. what I wanted um, I wanted, like, a Jeff Ballard type of thing going, but, like, for more of a rock context. Right. And his name kept popping up. So I, you know, I hit him up, and, and and we were friendly with each other, but we never really hung out before the band started. And then um, my buddy JP, who is, like, has such a wonderful place in my heart, um, he and I were in an improv class, uh, together where like we played essentially free for like you know anywhere between five minutes and, and an hour and a half you know like one piece kind of a thing right. um, and we weren't allowed to bring anything other than like acoustic instruments I mean he was an electric bass player so he would bring his electric bass but like I put I brought my acoustic guitar and I sang you know in this class um, like the teacher like could grab like guitar chords on the piano like his ears were so good you know like I would play a voicing and he would like play it back to me on the piano, like, wow. <laughs> like legit, you know what I mean? Um, and so we met in that class and he kind of asked if he could bring in his Moog one day and I was like, mm, you know, like, I'll remember that. <laughs> and um, I had this idea from uh, this Alabama Shakes record, um, the one with the black cover, what's that record called? Uh, uh, color and Sound. Sound and color. Sound and color. Yeah, which which was a huge record for me, sonically speaking, and I really loved like the synth based sound that they had on that. So I knew that I wanted that, and I knew that I didn't want like some killing jazz keyboard player to play bass. I wanted right. like a bass player <laughs> to play bass, but right. like on a synth. Right. Um, and I don't know how much experience he had at the time, but like now he's playing it like. Like, he uses all of the filters and, and, like, the oscillators and stuff. Like, he uses it as an instrument, not as, like, a keyboard instrument. You know? Right. It's, like, very much is playing it the way... Like, like, like... With... He plays it really, um... Using all of the parameters of the instrument the way that, like, 
a great upright bass player could use all of these different techniques, you know That's what right. I mean? Um, right. And get different sounds out of their instrument. Um, and then, funnily enough, Jared uh, uh, was one of my loyal customers at Pavement. And oh, yeah, that was our time. relationship for the longest time. was like, well, yeah, I, I just served him black Colbert's, you know what I mean? Like, well. that's all he ordered. And, like, and then, like, you know, occasionally there would be, like, the hang on the pavement stoop, and, like, he would be there, and we would, like, chat and whatever. But, like, we never really knew each other that well. And then um, Inez, my partner, and I uh, went to an Antonio Sanchez migration concert, and Jared was there, and we ended up chatting. Uh, you know, we, like, saw each other, and there was another mutual friend um, and we got pizza afterwards and like chatted and whatever and exchanged information and then like two weeks later I had an NYU recording session that I wanted to use for the Porterfield record and I was like we were all so we were always like calling horn players for these gigs right. like we want when we would tour or like play in other towns we would like call a different horn player in each town just to like like for two or three songs just to like have fun in right. that in that way you know um, and so we were used to like playing on the fly with different people and Jared bought his pedals and just like it was like a 9am recording session he just fucking slayed it and then like I asked him to play this gig at Shapeshifter Lounge and he was playing on the whole set instead of just like two or three songs that like had a solo section right. you know what I mean mm -hmm. and it was just like the perfect fit yeah. so I yeah before we released the album, while I was, like, making the album artwork, I, like, asked him, like, if he would want to be... You know, I spoke to the other guys first to make sure that it was cool. And, yeah. Now And now we play duo, like, Porterfield stuff, which is, like, super fun, yeah. you know? Like, at Gold Sounds, yeah. our last gig before the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dark. <laughs> dark. <laughs> February 2020. Oh, man. Was that, was that recording bed we made? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. There's a music video for that. Yeah, I get strangled. It. Check that out. It's great. Yeah, link right there. <laughs> cool. Featuring Inez on drums. Yeah, yeah. Inez is playing drums. Playing some She's our brushes. number one sub. We actually were doing this thing because Rafa plays. Rafael is one of these guys where he will learn a skill and then get really, really good at it as if he's been doing it for like a decade, but he's been doing it for like maybe 10 months. And so he learned electric bass. So he would be, when JP couldn't make a gig, Rafa would go on bass and Inez would play drums. <laughs> so oh, <sorry>. man. <laughs> Which, like, yeah. happened a few times. It was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. Cool. Yep. We got, like, two minutes. Would you like to plug anything? Sure, yeah. We just put out an album called Rome, um, which I'm very proud of. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's on all of your streaming services, Porterfield, uh, P-O-R-T-E-R-F-I-E-L-D. And uh, we have two music videos, Bed We Made, which features this lovely young buck um, getting strangled in a bizarro context. Amazing. Um, <laughs> and we did this other music video for this song, Always, which was written out of an exercise, oh. a songwriting exercise. Um, both filmed by my buddy Evan Moore, awesome filmmaker, um, and choreographed by Bo Park, who is the choreographer on this tour that I'm doing right now. Oh, cool. Um, and she's killing. 
Um, check her stuff out at the Broadway Dance Company, I think is what it's called. Yeah. Broadway Dance Center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks, Jacob, for joining us. Thanks for watching or listening. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Woo! Yeah, this was Woo! Fun. All right. Yay. Yeah, 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 first. Congratulations on your podcast, guys. <laughs>